Welcome to the third episode of the Beating Burnout podcast. I'm Chrissia, and this is our co-host. Ashwini. And this month's uh, topic is going to be coping with COVID. We have our wonderful guest today. Um, can you introduce yourself? Yeah, hi, my name is Sonia. Uh, I'm a registered nurse at Mopo Hospital in the Intensive Care Unit. I graduated from the University of Ottawa program in 2019, the French stream. That's so exciting. We are so excited. I think all our guests so far have been students. So it's really super awesome to have somebody who has real experience. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my goodness. So you work at the ICU. So you've definitely been having COVID positive patients, which is insane for us to even imagine. Um, Do you want to tell us a bit about like, what was your first reaction when you realized or had to come to terms with the fact that you would be dealing with COVID positive patients on a daily basis? Mm -hmm. So I actually was uh, off work at the beginning of the pandemic. So I was off from January last year till July because I had a knee injury and surgery. And in a sense, I was very happy about that because I was getting emails like four times a day changing policies and procedures. And uh, I was seeing my coworkers post in our, we have a Facebook group for like switches and just like updates. And everyone was freaking out and they were like, what are you guys doing? Are you like living with your families? Are you, you know, it was very um, um, crazy and we we're not sure exactly like how to deal with it, what the best ways were. PPE guidelines are changing every day. Um, so I was trying to keep up with my emails and then I was like stressing out about having to go back to work. And I was more nervous to go back into work with COVID than I was to start as a new grad, which is kind of crazy because starting as a new grad is a very scary thing also. <laughs> um, but at this point, I'd say I'm used to it and getting COVID patients doesn't scare me at all anymore. Um, I mean, I'm vaccinated also, which helps, but we do have, you know, good supplies now of PPE. But at the beginning, that was also an issue. They were saying, save your N95s, you get one a week, put it in a brown plastic, like brown paper bag and figure it out, write your name on it. Like that kind of stuff. Is yeah. <laughs> um, or they ran out of certain sizes. So they had to try to introduce new like N95s and test people and we're like, let's pretend this fits well anyway yeah. <laughs> so a little bit um, bumpy at the beginning and there was a big learning curve because even when I did come back everything I just learned as a fresh new grad you know how to intubate how to run a code blue things like that was now switched um, the good thing is that there's a lot of teamwork in the ICU and like good people to have like there is resource, resource people I could ask questions uh, too and everyone's in the same boat so um, kind of yeah, get used to it. And we also never really had more than like two COVID patients at a time because our ICU is not very large. And and overall, like Ottawa did a decent job, especially in the summer when I went back. So kind of eased into it a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I did show the peak of a wave. So but yeah. I mean, like even then it's so crazy. Like you're basically a new grad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that's, you know, a lot to learn for sure. Yeah, I also find... Like I was extra cautious with COVID patients. You know, we always like wash our hands and put on our PPE, but I was like borderline paranoid. And I was like, okay, like do not touch anything. And, you know, but then you also have to keep in mind that these are, especially if, you know, they're not on mechanical ventilators yet or sedated, they're humans and they're scared too. And so we can't be too, uh, uh, not dramatic, but like, you, you can't, there's a lot of people in the hospital, like the pharmacists and dietitians that won't go into any COVID room still now, a year into the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, we're in there all day and it's like, you, you deal with it, you dress up properly, you do your proper PPE and 
Uh, but I do find there's still a lot of fear and stigma in the hospital where like the pharmacist will be outside the, the door, but calling the patient on their cell phone instead. And you're like, that's not very human. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's been, been different. <laughs> and I feel like that's, it's so true. And I, I, I definitely also witnessed it where, you know, as a nurse or like as a healthcare, you had to like go in, you, you didn't really have that choice, especially the nurses who had to, you know, you're there from seven to seven and you are taking care of this patient. And it's really hard. I feel like as a nurse to step back and be like, well, what about me? Because, you know, in that moment you're caring for somebody else, but like doctors and even doctors, I find like, I'm not sure how it was in the ICU, but like on the COVID unit, it was really the nurse that was there like majority of the time, right? Like, and the doctor will come for that short period of time. And it was so inspiring to see how nurses were so so strong like mm-hmm. it's hard and like you said the policies were changing um it was like times a day sometimes it was a little bit crazy that's, yeah that's crazy like I joined later so I didn't get to see that but the nurses were saying like there was no guidebook like there was mm-hmm. no like okay this is what happens this is what we're gonna do it was like yeah. some in the beginning they didn't even know to wear a mask and then like exactly yeah. You know, another good thing our hospital implemented is that now we wear the hospital scrubs. So that's like really nice because before people were like, okay, I need like three bags to put my scrubs in and then I have to find a separate corner in my house where no one like anyway. So that's like one, you know, little intervention they did that helped and that helps with some stress a bit. Yeah. yeah. But what you're saying about doctors, um, a lot of them too, better now, but at the beginning of the pandemic, wouldn't even like want to step on the unit if we had a single COVID positive patient. So the nurses would go to the back, give the report, and then go back out and treat the patient with the new interventions. You know, the doctors never, like, we do have good collaboration in the intensive community, I have to say. And, you know, oftentimes they don't need to go assess the patient because they trust our our head-to-toe, our recommendations. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in theory, they should still be at least eyeballing the patient. And we had doctors that were afraid to even chart, like, on in COVID, um, they were afraid to sign COVID charts, even though the chart never goes in the room. And we're like, <laughs> what? Meanwhile, oh, wow. we're expected to be there for 12 hours a day in the room all day so yeah, yeah the nurses definitely are, are the most present and respiratory therapists too big shout out to them <laughs> yeah and I feel yeah and like that's the thing everybody even on the unit I work the teamwork was amazing and the doctors were amazing I it's just, just totally from observ- observation I was just like it's crazy to yeah. see how it is and it's it's so important I think for like students coming in to, to know that mm-hmm. just, like you're doing an amazing thing you're gonna you're really gonna make a positive impact which is yeah, yeah. a lot of people might not see it <laughs> not everyone's in the hospital but like we all know so that's awesome <laughs> oh here's one of my questions um how do you think you've grown as a nurse throughout this crazy experience oh. as a pandemic um I okay <laughs> loaded question <laughs> yeah it is a loaded question um I think it, to be a good nurse you have to be very adaptable and flexible and I think this pandemic kind of gave us no choice but to roll with the punches and you know take on all this new stuff because at the same time we're also like there were COVID changes but we also have you know ho- there are hospital changes we were changing our like documentation system right now we've changed literally every machine since I've started our ventilators our feeding pumps all that so there's a lot of like adaptability at all times and throughout your day too you have to be very 
ready to, to do anything at any time, especially in the intensive care unit, because we don't really know what's coming in. It's a bit like the emergency room in the sense that anything could walk through the doors. Well, once something unstable walks into the emergency room, they're coming to us next, but we don't get really a, a big warning. And sometimes, you know, your shift could start really slow. And then all of a sudden you have a very like critical and stable patient. Right. Um, so I would say that that in that sense, like adaptability, flexibility, I've definitely grown to, to accept it and embrace it. <laughs> yeah. uh, I would say also trying to set my boundaries because uh, with COVID, we've had a lot of short staffing, a lot of nurses leave the bedside. Uh, a lot of people, you know, were on sick leave or, or took some mental health breaks or, you know, staffing has just been a very large issue, I think, throughout like the world for nursing, but um, our hospital has been hit quite hard and it's not getting any better. <laughs> but uh, I, like as a new grad especially, I get called often to do overtime and I always felt like I had to say yes and I was gonna let my team down and um, I'm, I'm realizing now that I can't do it all because of my mental health matters too. Uh, and I think that acknowledging that in the end does also make me better, helps me grow and make me a better nurse because I'm able to give my all the days I am in. Um, don't get me wrong, I still take overtime. I'm still working on saying no, but <laughs> yeah, uh, I get asked to do like shifts all the time. Sometimes they'll be like, oh, can you do a 16 hour today, tomorrow, the day after at night? Uh, how about like, they're like, you can work day, evening, night, whatever you want. And you know, I, it's insane. hard because you're put on the spot. But at the end of the day, like hospital staffing problems are not my personal issue. <laughs> yeah. And I have to remind myself of that a lot. And it's to anyone that will start, you know, in the next couple of years, you don't need to say yes. <laughs> even even if the money is good, even if you feel like you're letting people down, like they will find a way. And, you know, so that is also a way that, you know, setting boundaries has been a tough one. And I also think um, providing like family stuff has been really difficult through COVID. Um, we've had to play bouncers because we have like visiting restrictions. Uh, we've had patients like that have had to die alone. So I've learned a lot. Um, there's a lot of different, I think I've become more resourceful in a sense because with like barriers, um, we've had to, you know, resort to FaceTime and we've had to uh, try to find different tactics and, and be more present at the bedside for patients that don't have families that are going to come. So I think, uh, you know, just providing better compassionate care and, and, trying to coordinate a lot for the, like everything that's best for patient healthcare team and family has been a big learning curve but you know something that we have grown in and uh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and skill wise as well like we've seen a lot of super sick patients and not just COVID like a lot of people that have chronic conditions you know like chronic lung or heart conditions that were afraid to step into the hospital now come in way more sick than they were previously Mm. And that uh, means they come in more sick to us and we have to, you know, treat, like in general, when treating sicker patients than we used to. So I think, you know, oh, the, the technical and medical side of things too, there's been a lot of learning for me, especially like being kind of fresh out of school. So, yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. It was a question I was actually going to ask you how, like, because I know like from my one clinical, you already had like visiting uh like you weren't allowed visitors and a lot of the patients were like not going through they already had like physical health problems and then now they're like their mental health is going down too and it didn't help mm -hmm. with their physical health problems so like how 
how like I was like I guess you already answered it a bit but more like in depth of like yeah. how do you really just help the patients get through that because it also they're alone in this room with you know yeah, yeah calling is good but if they didn't even have that like what do they do like what do you what are you able to do in that situation um it is quite difficult and our setting is different than a, a floor where you have you know six patients normally we have maximum two patients there are times when we go up to three and sometimes there are patients that are just one-to-one -one care um which is a benefit in the sense that we do you know to a certain extent have more time to spend directly with that patient than other like healthcare workers on on in medicine and surgery floors might um however our days are really busy even with the two patients because they're quite sick uh it is very isolating we've had a lot of patients get super anxious and if you know we'll say they're on high flow oxygen we have to have them in a N95 room, negative pressure, and we show up looking like big yellow bananas. You can, they can really hear us, see us, they can't, like, it's, it's difficult. And you also feel like it's frustrating for both us and for them because you, you want to do so much to help, but the, it is a barrier. Um, a lot of just like therapeutic relationship and, and comfort. Uh, visiting, it was limited. We've never had, actually at the beginning, I think they had zero visitors altogether. But once I got there, we were allowed one visitor unless it was like end of life. So the one visitor also was a lot of, it, it caused a lot of moral distress in the patients because sometimes they had to pick between their spouse or their kid or their, so I think that aspect is something that we haven't really fully figured out yet. Um, it's still a day-to-day -day struggle for like the, the patients themselves to pick. Uh, and it's difficult for the families as well to have to be like the one at the bedside relaying information to the rest of the family and and so I think that's a little bit tricky, um, especially there's a lot of families out there that don't get along. So to be able to like, yeah. we, we get social work involved very often and like they're the best because they, they are great help to like find, you know, who's in charge of medical decisions, who can have the right to visit and they help like navigate all that. Uh, I think, I'm not really answering your question. I'm kind of just talking about visitors, but. No, like it's, <laughs> It kind of makes sense though, because yeah, it's like also, we have a lot of patients that are in medically induced comas, where the patient isn't able to make their own decision. Um, we normally will first go to the power of attorney if we have one identified, and and ask them, you know, here are the visiting rules. COVID is now neck like if they're COVID positive, actually they can't have any visitors until it's end of life. Oh. If they're COVID negative, uh, they can have one. So the COVID patients themselves. Uh, it's a super difficult situation for the families and the patients themselves. Um, we have, you know, a patient right now who at one point, like now she's been in isolation. She's been positive for over a month. So she's no longer in isolation, but we were talking to the husband almost every day and, you know, he wants updates. He wants to know, but he can't even grasp what she looks like because she's on all these machines. And it's, it's hard to explain over the phone, how critical the situation may be. Um, and a lot of the times it's, we spend a lot of the time, a, a lot of time on the phone with families. Uh, but I find the, the message isn't always like portrayed the best way because they're not able to, to see the patient. And it's also very difficult to make any medical decisions without having the chance. So we're allowed to make exceptions here and there, uh, to have family meetings and stuff like that, to discuss like goals of care, what are the next steps, uh, but after that, it's it's the one or two visitors. So I don't know, the visiting has been difficult 
uh, I understand it. And I think it's, it, it makes sense to limit visitors, but at the same time, it's very difficult to, to pick your visitors for the families to like have to do that. And also there's sometimes like I had a patient who she passed, but she died alone because her family thought it'd be too difficult to come and see her. And they were scared of COVID and didn't want to go in the room like for end of life. Even though at that point, like we, we offer them like help to get dressed with their PPE, they're allowed if they want to. Um, but I understood he didn't want to take the risk and I offered FaceTime, but he thought it'd be too difficult to see his mother, but not be able to like physically touch her and hold her. And so that was heartbreaking because the woman yeah. was scared. She knew she wasn't going to make it. And she like died with a nurse holding her hand, which is, which is better than nobody, but still like terribly difficult and sad. So it's been the the visiting side of things have been has been difficult for everyone to navigate. Our manager gets well involved too in terms of exceptions, because uh, you you don't want you know we're, we're our goal is to give the most like patient and family centered care, but we also have to deal with like provincial guidelines, hospital guidelines. So we're that stuck in the middle, and we'll get a lot of not hate, but like upset families, understandably. But we, and I always say, I don't make the rules. I have to impose them. I'm very sorry. Like, and then yeah. you're on the phone, you know, <laughs> anyway. Yeah. <laughs> phone calls because there's no visitors, which also can be difficult in the sense that we're on the phone, like, like sometimes multiple family members will call and we have to try to be like, can we get one person to call? Because if we have 17 people calling us every day for the same patient, I can't be in the room caring for your loved one. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I rambled a little bit, but visiting has been uh, a struggle and difficult and isolating for patients um we, yeah. we try to offer like any support we can and you know we're always there we say don't hesitate to ring if they can and you know would you want some tv we offer people that we, we can provide too but not not always of it like obvious or easy <laughs> i think like even then it's so cool to see all the strategies that you guys have like implemented mm -hmm. because Man, that's insane. I think some of them are, are to stay. Like we have a team now that comes and, you know, we'll do FaceTime. It's like volunteers that'll come to do FaceTime if the nurses have a million other things to do. And I think that's great. And it's something that like we should, you know, for families that are out of country or things like that, it's a good opportunity to, there's some good that has come out of it that will like stay, which is nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I hear, I'm hearing like a lot of like teamwork. Like it's, a, it's not yeah. just the nurse. It's not just the physician. It's the social workers. It's the, you know, it's the volunteers, you know, everyone's playing a part that's important. It's really showing the hospital maybe like, <laughs> you know, they like, it shows that it, you can't just rely on one person. It's mm -hmm. a whole team mm -hmm. effort. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that's like also maybe a myth or, you know, a lot of people don't know how much teamwork there is. There's like an OT, there's a PT, there's like so many people mm. that work together to provide the, the mm -hmm. care. And it's when I feel like it's when the teamwork is at its best that the unit is has such a positive vibe and a positive impact on patients. And I have to say that was a big thing that helped um, the, the staff in general get through the beginning of the pandemic. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever seen Dr. K, he's Dr. Cameron Tang, he's on CTV News a lot. He's one of our intensivists and he's awesome. He has a podcast as well, Solving Healthcare. If everybody wow. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Yeah, he's really like um, done a lot of work in the, the healthcare field and research and trying to, you know, 
optimize it, make it better. Anyway, a little shout out to him. But <laughs> he organized a GoFundMe at the beginning of the pandemic uh, to try to just like get some funds to get food for staff and just like little things like that. We're so like, we got a lot of contributions and thank yous and you know, it it's, we're, we need more than just thank you healthcare heroes that that still feels good. You know what I mean? Like we need staff, we need like other stuff, but little acts of like food or the team got together and like everyone's hands were super dry, you know, like because of all the like, I mean, we always wash our hands a lot, but there's a girl we work with that also is a aesthetics nurse. So she like got an order of special hand cream for the whole team and people were like oh. contributing anyway. So there were a lot of ways where like our, our team itself got together to try to boost morale. Food was a good way to do it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then just like random little donations and stuff was uh, was nice and took some like stress off and kind of, it really does boost morale when you see, wow, someone brought us like Greek food today, sick. I have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I, like it's it's a small act of kindness, but it does go a long way. And then just everyone's a little bit happier, a little less stressed when you find your five minutes to eat your food. You're like, wow, okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> or just like coffee, like a nurse bringing our manager bringing coffee in the morning, like things like that um, did help. And I think, you know, it's less now because it's a year in and you can't expect companies to still like companies are struggling too and can't afford to just throw like give free food everywhere <laughs> but uh I think the 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 way the team really came together to like support each other at the beginning was really nice and impressive and um everyone you know we're in it together and we're hopeful for a vaccine and hopeful for like change to come and we're still in it but there's a silver up. lining hopefully yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah and I feel like it's important for students to really recognize the importance of teamwork at like in this school time yeah. it's the best chance for us to see it and practice it so that we can also contribute positively to a team like that and be open yeah. to it. I was gonna say too I feel like last year when I had like the two days of clinical <laughs> at the St. Vincent's I felt like it was just the nurses and the patient um, but like here like with the three clinicals that I've done so far, it's been like a lot of teams, a lot of physicians coming in, a lot of uh, social workers. I've been seeing so many social workers and I feel like I haven't, I've never seen that many social workers when I go to the hospital, but I didn't realize how it's honestly like, I feel like it's getting better with the, the way that a whole team's coming together. It's not just the nursing mm -hmm. having to do everything or just like, you know. That's cool to hear. I know like, you know intensive care is known to be good in teamwork because we have no choice because we have complex cases every day we do rounds on our patient and for one patient it could take 15 minutes to round you know and we have a pharmacist dietitian respiratory therapist doctor like it's a big team conversation essentially and it's not there's less of a like hierarchy which I find is nice so it's cool to see that even on like floors where nurses have multiple patients that they're, they're we're involving more professionals and working together it's good mm -hmm. I also think with COVID cases we've had to involve more people because it presents very differently in everybody and oftentimes we don't really know why a certain person with no comorbidities got so sick and you know other times the comorbidities were an indicator but how come now they're developing this new anyway there's a lot of of learning and so our our doctors also have been referring to you know a respirologist for like some advice and an infectious disease specialist to get like a second like view and opinion on 
what are we doing and what can we do differently to like help this person get better so yeah that's insane and I know we touched on like people sending their things and and that's awesome and but I always feel like it's really different for people that aren't experiencing it to understand kind of what's going on so I was wondering like what are some myths or what are some things that you feel like people don't really know or understand about you know working working on the front lines oh um I think well I was talking a little bit about like numbers and stuff earlier but I think uh people are very especially at the beginning maybe a little less now but we're very just like stuck on numbers and what media was saying and oh my god and sometimes you know they'd be like Ottawa is seeing so many cases and the ICUs are packed and <laughs> our ICUs were packed but it wasn't COVID patients we had times when we were overloaded but it was not COVID itself causing the issues it was the collateral damage so we, we had a zero COVID positive patients but we had a bunch in for overdoses because they're not like we've seen a lot a lot of mental health in the ICU and we've seen a lot of um, chronic conditions that are now worse or cancers caught late because they didn't they missed their biopsies for like all the surgeries that were postponed and things like that so I think um, people don't realize to what extent th that like, what I find harder than actual COVID patients are the don't get me wrong the COVID patients that come to ICU often like are very sick and they're difficult cases but I find overall what we've been seeing a lot more of is just like mental health related to all the stuff that's been going on a lockdown times um, like seven and <laughs> like all this other stuff and I think that when we're looking at the the media and they say our ICUs are packed people are like oh my god COVID's so bad there's so much COVID in the ICU that's false we like I said we the maximum I saw in our ICU was four and it was only for a few hours like we're not saturated in COVID patients mm -hmm. um as much as, as people may think and other ICUs in Ottawa either. Like we've had some and often the ones that we have are there for a month, but not that, not that long. Mm -hmm. um, I think there was, I'm trying to think of other myths. <laughs> uh, there were a lot, no, there were a lot of like, you know, uncertainties about transmission and stuff like that too. That we like know a little bit more now. And it's, you know, if you're properly protected, it's not as contagious as, you know, the, the, the measures that we're using are working or else we'd all be full of COVID and all sick right now. <laughs> uh, so that's good. And uh, there's, it's not even myth, but just, you know, the way there are presumptions that everyone that got COVID and got it bad was, you know, in their nineties and they're obese and they have diabetes and they have hypertension and, you know, th those COVID patients probably won't make it. But we also have had some cases with, you know, relatively young healthy like 60 year old that still ran and ate well and weren't known for anything and and they got hit very hard so I think uh there's you know we still have to be cautious because it's not like I I have the mentality that I'm young I should be fine but realistically you never really know um and so I think that it's not it's not just those with comorbidities that are getting it it's kind of anyone could be hit hard and we don't really know why yet so yeah, yeah. When you mentioned how like you get you're getting a lot more cases that are not COVID, <laughs> would you say that it's because of like 
the lockdown pretty much and like the fact that people have to be stuck inside the entire you know a hundred percent you know we also have like uh we're so Malfav is like in the east end and we get a lot of the Vanier and Byron Market population and there's a lot of shelters and stuff in that area too and I think um one of the populations that's been hit very hard COVID wise but also just like in general is you know the more vulnerable uh people like living without homes because uh, especially when, during lockdown, you either get fined $6,000 for being out on the street past whatever, like or in Quebec, it's like past 8 p.m. and stuff like that. Yeah. Or you're crammed in a shelter with a bunch of other people. Um, and a lot of these people have mental health uh, problems and addictions. And right now, a lot more, you know, we are told don't, don't be in groups, don't do this. We have a lot more people that are consuming alone, being found too late. Like my last... Um, stretch my last two night shifts we admitted two sorry we admitted four overdoses in in two night shifts and all of them died and so that in itself has been very difficult because we're seeing it every week and it's that in itself is another big public health issue is you know the opioid like crisis right now and mental health and those same people that come in and make it when they leave, they go right back out, and it's we're not we're not really solving in, like any issues there. Um, and I think that those cases aren't getting the same attention as as COVID. And like I think I, I wish there was like some public health funding that was also going to try to find solutions and help with that. Uh, and we also have a lot, you know, of of people that weren't known to have any you know mental health issues until the pandemic, and then got hit like. 40 years old, lost their job where they've been working for 17 years, uh, you know, has been stuck at home, things aren't great with like their wife or their stress because of their kids, like having to homeschool them and all that. And they've, they've had a lot of suicide attempts as well come in, some successful, some not. So I think um, that that in itself has been a lot harder than, um, than some of the COVID cases. And 100%, it's related to some of the isolation and stuff. And and they're very sad and heavy stories and and difficult for families and stuff too so yeah i 100% think the lockdown and also inactivity is another thing that lockdown does you're closing gyms you're telling people don't go outside but like walks are okay everybody yeah. <laughs> and you know i think that uh we've had a lot of people come in with blood clots there was a week we had seven patients coming with pe's pulmonary embolisms most likely because they're not moving nearly as much as they used to developed a blood clot in their leg and now you're you're at the hospital in critical condition so uh i i do agree that like lockdowns have made things worse <laughs> in a sense um they they have also helped control numbers but they've caused a lot of other issues <laughs> and whenever there's lockdowns often the hospital's capacity for elective surgeries goes down but an elective surgery could be, you know, a biopsy to find something and it's still something that should be done relatively urgently, you know, um, yeah. so, yeah. 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 <laughs> and like about the, like in terms of, or like in the topic of isolation and, you know, how it's impacting so many people, how do you feel like I, the isolation has impacted you specifically as, I mean, as a nurse, I, I hear a lot or one of the nurses was talking and saying, you know, like people, you know, don't want to see you. Like they they love you, but you know, <laughs> you work with COVID positive patients, so they don't 
want to see you and it puts you in this bubble of extreme isolation I feel mm -hmm. um, and everyone's very grateful for you but they also don't want to see you that's so hard to take how has this whole pandemic affected you mentally <laughs> I, I've been fortunate in the sense that I have a roommate who's also like she graduated from nursing as well um, just last year so she like gets it and trusts that I'm wearing my PPE properly and stuff like that so that's been a huge help because at least I have someone that I could come home to you that is not afraid of me and that <laughs> that also understands nursing a little bit like I, she won't understand no one can understand the reality of someone else working their shift but she has a sense of what the hospital life is like um my parents were also not scared of me which was lovely <laughs> uh, they so I have been able to go and like see them and and you know rant or talk or get food or whatnot <laughs> and they live in Ottawa as well so um for me personally, that, that I've been able to see, you know, the people that matter and my work colleagues as well. One of the reasons I actually don't mind going into work is because it's become my social. Um, when, we're, when everything else is locked down, it, some days I actually looked forward to go to work because I'm on a 12 hour schedule. So typically I do two day shifts, two night shifts, and then five days off. Rarely get my five off because of overtime and stuff, but I'm working on taking <laughs> the time. But anyway, um, and you know, by the end of your five days, if you haven't really done much, or you've been going on solo walks and things like that, you're, or just FaceTiming, I actually look forward to going back the next day just to see people and share story, like my very limited stories of how I did a paint by numbers, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, and I think that I, I, I know personally that I would not thrive working from home or doing any desk job, I, find I would be in the worst mental state. Like I think being at work has actually helped um, my mental health in the sense that I have a support circle that that get it because we're all dealing with the same COVID pandemic uh, but also you know we get to we, we still laugh we still get to chat and talk and and I think having that human interaction is like really important to me and I, I get some of that at work so um, I'm grateful for for my co-workers for sure and uh, and for my you know the few people that I that don't aren't afraid of seeing me and I also have a lot of friends that were okay seeing me like socially distance outside and things like that yeah. So the summer months were okay. The winter was a little long though. <laughs> yeah. So. But that's that's good to hear, and yeah, I think. Yeah, I, I think. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I, I was gonna agree with you with the whole like going to work and like socializing, and that itself is like like a mental health pick me up kind of thing. Because <laughs> real humans. Yay. Yeah, like it's it's because like I'm like with like five four other roommates and that's all I see like we see and during my clinicals at TO like I was talking to the instructor I was talking to the nurses and for some reason I was like oh my god I needed this yeah. and I was like talking to the other girls that were on in the same clinical and I'm like I haven't talked to people for like in so long like it's crazy yeah. like this itself just like being at this clinical is good for me right now. It makes a huge difference. And I would say our group of like ICU nurses has gotten so much closer. Like we started a book club last, uh, in, in April. And we would so like, cute. yeah, we'd spin a wheel to decide who was going to read the book. It's kind of died down because we like realized a lot of people couldn't keep up, myself included. Like I was really good the first like three months. And then I was like, oh my God, I have no time to read. And, and sometimes, you know, when after like a long week, I don't actually feel like reading something like, yeah especially if it was a book that was like heavy I was like no I want to watch Netflix instead and then it yeah. kind of on a bit but like we did that for like close to seven months I think um and overall everyone like 
got closer we've gone on like hikes together and things like that so I think that um it's reinforced our like our teamwork like we were talking about earlier but also just our general friendship with like colleagues and coworkers. yeah yeah that is awesome oh this is another question I had so (laughs) we kind of um tackled a lot of really good stuff in this podcast and I feel like as a new grad since you are a new group which is just so admirable just knowing that you've gone through this as your first experience what kind of advice would you give to new grads graduating this year Um, because I guess the end of the semester is nearing and consolidation is wrapping up Um, yeah what what piece of advice would you give to them entering this kind of a situation be aware that it is scary, but that there is help out there. And don't be afraid to ask questions. Take all the training that people offer you. I was really fortunate because um, there was a new grad program the year I graduated. And so I had basically like an extra consolidation. I had a license and, you know, I had to, got to sign RN and like ultimately like I was responsible, but I had a, a mentor that was there for me at all times for like my first, I think, month and a half, which is really nice. Uh, so if that's offered to you, like new grad programs are awesome, take it and you're paid for it, which is great. <laughs> no more free labor. Um, you'll never fully feel ready though, but um, you, you do it, you figure it out day by day and I'm still learning. You're going to learn forever for your entire career. Um, there's still a lot I don't know and, you know, don't be afraid to ask. Find a few people you feel comfortable with and ask. Uh, take time for yourself as well. Learn to say no, like I was saying earlier it's hard you fall into a trap of like I'm young I don't have a family like or like kids I should say (laughs) yeah Yeah. bye mom and dad (laughs) I want money all this other stuff and technically I'm free and I found with the lockdown too I was like well I'm not doing anything better with my life may as well go make money but it is important to take those breaks because it's really easy to burn out um and you know, this week alone, like I'm a bad example, but I worked 70 hours and well, I'm not done. I have the night shift tonight and tomorrow, but uh. <laughs> I, I then told them, I'm like, don't call me at all on my next five off because I, I'm over it. Like I need sleep, I need <laughs> a like space and break and you just don't know what your shifts are gonna be like either. So uh, yeah, take some breaks, find some hobbies um, that, you know, don't stress you out. <laughs> so I found like during the lock I'm normally very active and then I had injuries so I had to kind of slow down a bit but I've gotten really into I should we started reading again like I was saying with the book club which I enjoyed I like I'm not an artist but I like realized that I enjoy painting so I've been doing that um and so that finding those kind of things and then uh you know your, your support systems are important to you try to but you're not a superwoman and it's okay if you know, don't talk to your best friends every day. <laughs> they're they're going to be there for you. And if you need it, let it out. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In terms of like your end clicks and stuff, um, it's a lot of studying. It's, it's also scary and hard, but uh, I would go with you world if I, if I would, can make a recommendation for <laughs> I heard so school. many people mention that to yeah. me too. They're like, you world, world is where it's at. It was <laughs> the actual exam. Uh, it's probably one of the most stressful exams I've ever done, but uh, UWorld does a good job and, and you, you get through it. Yeah. <laughs> the relief you'll feel after is worth it all. <laughs> um, yeah. So awesome. it's, it's a, also don't, like anyone that's going into 
sorry, that's graduating and is not sure if that's is for them, explore other options. There's so much you could do with nursing, um, especially now, like I've, there's nurse, like I know people that are now just like COVID vaccinators or they're working at testing centers or in public health policy. Um, you can't teach just yet right out of school, but you know, eventually that's an option. Um, there are like, there's just way more than hospital. And I feel like in nursing school, I'm mostly just exposed to the hospital world. Um, but you know, feel, I was looking it up the other day and like, it's not really in the can Canada, but there's like movie nurses that just like check and script nurses that check to make sure that shows like Grey's Anatomy aren't doing stupid things. And I've just, heard of that. I literally yeah. just heard like our clinical instructor was like, oh my gosh, did you know in Toronto, you can be a movie nurse and you can like, you know, make sure, or like, she was like testing people on the set. <laughs> yeah, actually, they did that in Vancouver too, and she had to like make sure the COVID policies are being followed and that people were healthy and testing. Anyway, there's some cool opportunities out there. Yeah. Um, and I would also say, don't feel like you need to be full time. I I've always had the mentality of like, graduate high school, go to university, get a full time job, you're set. Okay, cool, but. At the end of the day, there's nothing wrong with being part-time. There's a lot of opportunities to pick up hours if you want. Like a lot of people I work with work full-time hours but are technically part-time. Um, and they just pay into other benefits and stuff like that. Like it's it, it can be a great goal and it's amazing if you could accomplish it. But if all that's available when you first graduate or, or you don't have the mental capacities to jump right into it at 100% and do 40 plus hours a week, like that's okay. Start with like a three shifts a week or something like that. They're willing to take you. They they will take nurses with any availability at the moment. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's another thing I'd say because I I kind of fell into the full time trap and I I did use my benefits because I got injured. But otherwise, like I would be also very happy with a part time and still able to to financially like make the same as a full time and everything. So that's just something to consider as well. That if there's no full time opportunities, you could start part time and move up because once you're in the system, it's easier to move anyway. So. Yeah. And I, I think also one of my coworkers was, she was like, yeah, I've always been part-time. And I, I was like, wow, I feel like I resonate with that because when you're part-time, you have the option to, you know, pick up more hours, but you can also like do another job. You could do, no, yeah, that's you don't even have to do another job. You could do something you exactly. love. So, but some people I know, like, will do the, like, I love pediatrics and I want, but I also want to do this. And so they kind of just do a bit of both. They're like a casual at one place and part-time at both. And it's like, perfect. Best of both worlds. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So many, so many options. And I, and like you said, I feel like we're only exposed to so much. Mm -hmm. um, so hearing it from you. And especially online, you just get a small, like, I'm sure like with your placement this yeah. year, whatever, you just get a small glimpse. Um, yeah. But <laughs> yeah. Like we weren't allowed to see any of the respiratory um, patients at all. Really? Well, I know at our hospital, mm -hmm. like students are like COVID patients, but that doesn't make sense to me because there's such good learning cases. And I understand that it's like a liability thing and all that, but I think it should be up to the, the student if they're comfortable or not, because there's a lot to learn. Yeah. COVID patients that come to the ICU are often on every machine imaginable. So like, it's like kind of surprising because like a lot of the instructors were telling us that they wish they could give us a little bit more challenging patients, but at the same time, they can't give COVID patients huh. or like we don't get a lot of respiratory patients because they'd be sent to a different floor or like I think a lot of the patients that we got were like NG or usually they were like uh, GI problem patients mm -hmm. I think I got a lot of those but uh yeah like it's been a really, like really interesting learning experience too like I've seen just like a very small portion of what the actual nursing picture is <laughs> in like the hospital 
And with that, I'll, I'll say like, if you are a new grad graduating this year, do consider that no one has gone through what you guys have gone through and the learning curve will be steep. And you may deal with nurses or new people or managers that are like, why don't you know this? But like, re remind yourself that you, you finished nursing in a pandemic, like no one's done that before. <laughs> and you can't be expected to know everything from the little glimpses you saw. So, so be patient with yourself and be open to growing and learning because there'll be a lot of it, but uh, it's uh, going to be a little steeper than other people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm like I'm preparing myself mentally yeah. already in third year like I'm, I'm finishing this year and I'm just like I gotta mentally prepare myself for this because I know it's gonna be like some nurses experiences are here and then they're gonna be like what happened to this gap that happened but anywhere like you go right. don't have they don't have a choice they have to offer you orientation and training and there's no harm in asking for a few extra shifts if you don't like feel ready there's mm -hmm. that's okay <laughs> okay well our time together has come to like a very sad end because I feel like we could talk forever. There's so much to talk about. Um, but yeah, is there any last final thoughts that you would like to let everybody know? Anybody who's hearing us today? <laughs> well, just thank you for having me. If you have any questions at all, my full name is Sonia Bouchard and I'm always open to answering anything. I'm going to stop you. So, That's gonna slide into my DS. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, good. I mean, honestly, I respect all of you in nursing or whoever is listening, anyone going through school right now so much because I, I don't think it went very well. You guys have been dealing with a lot of back and forth and, and also being adaptable and all that. So shout out to you guys as well. And excited to see you guys in the nursing field. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And yeah, we're so, and yeah we're so grateful to have you on this podcast. It's been so eye-opening, like it was so eye-opening for us. I'm sure everybody listening would feel exactly the same way. So we're really grateful to have you.